In Ontario, we have a provincial election coming up just before the summer on June 2nd. Just like our federal election earlier this year, housing is one of the biggest issues. We all admit that prices are now out of reach for most first-time buyers, especially in Toronto, where the average price of a home is now $1.3 million. Everyone is looking for solutions to slow down the real estate markets, not just in Toronto and the province of Ontario, but right across the country. A couple of weeks ago, Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario who's seeking re-election, introduced new legislation. It's called the Homes for Everyone Act. So is this plan or act realistic, or is it just a ploy by our provincial Conservative government to get re-elected? I'm Desmond Brown, and today on Sold in the Six, we're going to look deeper into this new legislation on housing with someone who, in my opinion, knows Queen's Park and the Ontario Legislature better than anyone else. Robert Benzie is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star, and he joins me today. Rob, welcome to Sold in the Six. Thanks for having me, Des. Yeah, it's so great to have you on the show. My, well, Rob is a longtime colleague of mine when I worked at the National Post many, many years ago, and we've kept in touch, and I've always admired his work at Queen's Park. Actually, just an amazing reporter. But, Rob, anyway, before we get into this provincial, the Homes for Everything, or the Homes for Everyone Act, Let's touch on the federal government budget that was recently released and some of the housing measures that they're proposing. And, you know, the first thing that stands out for me is their ban on foreign buyers for two years. And the reason I bring this up is because the Ontario provincial government also introduced measures on foreign buyers uh, when they released this act. That that's right, Des. Um, the for the provincial government raised the tax. It used to be fifteen percent foreign buyers tax. Now it's twenty uh five twenty percent foreign buyers tax. So they they did that, and that that was a big change for for Doug Ford's government to actually raise a tax. I think that's the first one that they've raised. Yeah, they like cutting taxes. Um, they they claim to like cutting them, but they they certainly do raise them. Uh, or at least they raised that one. And then Christian Freeland, the federal finance minister. Um, uh, announced that ban. Now, it, it's it remains to be seen as how much of an impact this is going to have on housing prices. Uh, I mean, I think the percentage is very low, like, like one four, or two percent. Four percent. Yeah, four, four, four percent. Four yeah. percent of of all of our sales are by yep. foreign buyers. Yeah, so it's really not going to change a whole lot, but it's one of those things governments can do, mm-hmm. and it looks like they're doing something. If you know what I mean, so I think yeah, that's it looks like that's it. the <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like that's what they that's what they they have to uh, be seen to be doing something. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, this is the the. The, the the problem the challenge that governments have is everyone agrees that house prices are are too high they're up 18 percent in here in the Toronto area I mean when I bought my first house uh, 20 odd years ago you gave me a very good advice uh, you and I were reporters at the time together but you were you had already knew a lot about real estate having done it before and you said to me you said just get in the market and you'll never regret it and that is very very good advice the problem now is that a house that I could buy for, uh, you know, an affordable, you know, a, a few years of, of my salary at the time is just not, that's not viable yeah, when, you know, ha- average house prices are $1.3 million and for a starter home kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you and your wife, you know, you're young professionals yep. and you could, you could do it back then. And I think somebody making the same type of incomes uh, today are not going to have a chance. 
yeah, that's just it's just you can't get in the market the same way that you could. And the other thing is like, uh, is there aren't. I mean, there isn't the kind of density in Toronto, a place like Toronto, that there's that there really needs to be. We still have a lot of single-family dwellings, and this is one of the things that the provincial government was hoping to address in its uh, homes for in its Homes Act that didn't really. Uh, a lot of people felt think fell yeah, short. Yeah, and we're going to talk. But, yeah, we'll talk uh, about yeah, that but, because yeah. I know um, it's always that it's it's the nimbyism that's attached to the increase in population density uh, that a lot of people are against, right? They don't want that. You know, it's great. Let's have the housing, but you know, not in my neighborhood. Don't be increasing yeah. uh, the density. Don't be getting. Don't be putting rental units in your basement in my neighborhood. My neighborhood's too good for that. But anyway, back yeah, back to yeah. this um, to this foreign buyers ban. So. Based on the federal government saying that we're banning foreign buyers, so that extra tax that the provincial government put in now is is now moot, right? Like it it, it doesn't even. Yeah, yeah I mean they're not. They, they, need it. they were only going to, and they they. It's not like it's going to be a hit to provincial revenues because there's only a couple of hundred million a year that it was that it was bringing in, um, and and in in a an Ontario budget of around $200 billion. That's really not, that's not that significant. Uh, I mean, I think probably the more significant thing, uh, that was symbolically a good thing to do, I guess, uh, for optics, but the more significant thing that in Christian Freeland's budget is the is the $10.2 billion in funding to build more affordable housing uh, across the across the country. And and also this, and you and I talked about this before, Des, the, uh, this, this um, tax-protected savings program, the, a sort of a TFSA for first-time home buyers. And this builds on a program that I used as a, as a, as a young person, which was when you could use, or you still can use your RSPs, yeah. uh, to put that, put that toward your, um, your, your, uh, down payment of your first home. And then you pay it back gradually over 15 years. This is a similar sort of measure modeled on the TFSA that, mm-hmm. that many of us uh, take advantage of to, for our investments. So, yeah. I mean, I think the government is trying on the margins, but at the end of the day, you still need, like, it's great to have, you know, $40,000 in a tax-free savings account that you can put toward a house, but uh, that's not a huge dent on a $1.3 million starter home. No, not at all. And you know, there's one thing I just scratched my head about this tax-free home savings account to a maximum of $40,000. Why wouldn't someone just save in their own bank account? Yeah. And my wife, Alice, and I were talking about that yesterday because you get taxed on the little eensy-weensy bit of interest that you get on that. And you're not getting a lot of interest from the banks now anyway. No. So to me, it's more aesthetic. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and and, I mean, you already have a TFSA. If you have a TFSA, you could be you could be accessing that, too. So it's I mean, I I think it's it's one of these things. Governments like to show people that they're giving them tools and and I understand why they do it. But whether those tools are actually effective, ah, that remains to be seen. Yeah, no, definitely. We see that all the time. Um, Christian Friedland. She also announced, and you just mentioned that too, $10 billion for affordable housing across the country. That apparently is working out to, well, that's part of, well, let me put it this way. The 100,000 yeah. homes that are proposed, they're just, it's part of this program. Yeah, but over the next thousand, five years. Yeah, yeah, over the next oh, yeah. five years. Whereas the provincial government is promising 1.5 million homes in the next 10 years. So, you know, Ford and, and his uh, government are are uh, vowing to double the current rate of construction. 
Yeah, I mean, there were 81,000 houses built in Ontario last year, and Steve Clark, the Minister of Municipal Affairs, would like that to be a lot higher, and it needs to be a lot higher. Mm -hmm. So that's why he tabled his legislation uh, recently, um, the more the more homes for for everyone uh, um, uh, bill. Uh, it was it was uh, I, I'm gonna it, it, it's funny the, the more homes for everyone act was there had been a lot of hopes about this one does and mm-hmm. it didn't really uh, pan out qu- quite the way that I think um, uh, people had hoped because remember the you and I've talked about this before the uh, the housing affordability task force that the that the government uh, struck yeah. they released a report in February that was pretty had some pretty aggressive um, findings um, 55 different recommendations one of which was of course the 1.5 million new houses over a decade uh, but this legislation, fell a little bit shy of that and it wasn't as aggressive I think as a lot of us thought that it would be and I think it's because there's an election on June 2nd Mm -hmm. and the uh, municipal affairs minister and the Tory government doesn't want to tick off municipalities and override their approvals and expedite things and have more density and higher higher uh, towers and in places and I I think in some ways, the Tories lost a bit of their nerve. And, and Steve Clark, we talked to him about this when the law w- was tabled, and he said that maybe some of the uh, the task force recommendations were a bit too bold mm-hmm. for, for some communities. And it's, I mean, I live in downtown Toronto, and even though there are people who say we need more density, to your point earlier, they it's all about nimbyism. They don't want more row houses or they don't want uh laneway houses or they don't want a six-story tower uh on on dundas at at the corner of dundas and ossington because they think that's a little too tall uh at a certain point we live in a city people are going to have to you know where you guys are it's the same like you know it's like that people are going to have to adjust to six and and seven story uh, uh apartment blocks like you see in major european and asian cities uh and in new york i mean it's we we still have this very provincial and i mean this in a in a in a disparaging way not in a provincial government way but a very provincial kind of way of looking at things that that toronto is going to be single family dwellings and that's that you know we're not now and and steve clark acknowledges that we need to we need to look at uh multi-generational families that live together and figure out ways to zone better for those families it's just we have to modernize and get with the program the way that people are living their lives now so if you're thinking of entering this crazy real estate market wherever you are you're probably going to need a mortgage and that's why i recommend that you speak to jason georgopoulos at dominion lending of course jason's going to get you the best rates and terms available out there to get in touch with jason you can email him at Jason G at dominionlending.ca. You know, we've always wanted to be a world-class city here in Toronto. Well, sometimes there's a little bit of a growing pain that goes with that. Totally, right? totally. And, yeah. you know, large population. And, you know, we are the center of, the, of Canada's economy here in, in Toronto. And sorry, but this is what goes with, with living in, you know, we're, we're like a mini New York City now. Exactly, exactly. And and we also have to get our heads around uh, – I mean, we all in North America, it's all about home ownership and we've got to buy a place. 
and get in the property ladder. And, and I think personally, that's a great thing. It's what I, it was instilled in me. It was instilled in you. It was, inst we're instilling it in our, in our children. But I think if you look at some other parts of the world, they if you live in Hong Kong, you you rent your whole life. You don't yep. necessarily have to buy somewhere. And I think that's not a something that we or the same in London and it's the same in Paris. We don't seem to be that way here in Toronto. We're still very much or Canadians. Old, or Canadi Canadians yeah, can love to own yeah, their own homes. Yeah. Even though even though they they complain about how expensive they are and yeah, it's true. We really want to we want to be owners not renters. And I think that that's a great aspiration, but we also have to be realistic too. I mean, not everyone is going to own a single family dwelling home. There just isn't enough there isn't there isn't enough housing stock for that. Yeah. No, exactly. You know, when you talked about some of the bold initiatives that were uh I guess recommended through this task force, like one of them was uh very much in favor of builders and that uh, the appeal process was basically going to be non-existent and that it was going to be more in favor of builder builders just go ahead and do what they wanted to do. And I think, like you said, because of the election coming along, they didn't want to get on the wrong side of municipalities. Um, the one thing here, or actually a couple of things here that Doug Ford has said regarding uh, this plan is that there are two major rules. Yeah. And Number one was not to build in the green belt. And of course, you know, he's a lot of people have accused him of trying to get into the Oak Ridges Moraine, yeah. which um, which was uh, deemed uh, a no-go zone for any building under McGinty's government, uh, Dalton McGinty, the liberal uh, premier. And also he said that the municipalities have to initiate or implement yeah. the building. So again, you know, a lot of stuff gets tied up in red tape at the municipal level. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing is I, when when the Tories were f first talking about uh, about tackling housing, it, there was a lot of criticism from municipalities that they were overriding local planning. And and that's an under that's a that's a concern. But nimbyism comes from not in my backyard, and it's always at the local level. So one of the things that that the the government had looked at was the el the elimination of exclusionary zoning that that would add uh, that would allow uh, more density in city neighborhoods like the ones that you and I live in. And I think they were the the government was uh, skittish so close to an election about doing that because. The, they, the last thing you want is property owners uh, rising up and saying, you know, way, you know, I, we, we don't want uh, more uh, density in our neighborhood. Build it somewhere else. And the problem is, and I, I have a lot of sympathy for governments of all political stripes when they deal with this thing, with this kind of stuff, because we, we all want uh, a better city. We all, it's like we all want public transit, but everyone complains when they're building it because the traffic is ground grinds to a halt and the construction dust mm -hmm. gets everyone ticked off. We all want a, a, a more livable city. We all want more affordable housing. We all want places that our kids can afford to buy one day. But we don't seem to want to accept that that's going to mean making some sacrifices of our own. And those sacrifices include having a six-story tower at the corner of your or of your of your street maybe yeah well you and i know that this act is very much uh because of the election coming up and uh doug ford has not had a great record with the green belt as you know and you know at the end of four years when let's like, say they don't 
reach the goal of 1.5 million dollars, 1.5 million homes in the next 10 years. Even that they look at this in four years and say they're not even close to it. Because he's mentioned that the municipalities have to initiate or implement it, it's easy for him to wash his hands and say, it wasn't my fault. We gave them everything that they needed to go ahead, but it's still being tied up at the municipal level. So it's going to be just so political because it is, it is quite an ambitious plan. It's a very ambitious plan. And remember, he's also tying it to two other major projects, building of Highway 13, which is a highway, uh, a 60-kilometer highway from Milton to Vaughan mm-hmm. that would cut a swath through a bunch of, of Greenbelt land. Now, the Greenbelt is protected, but uh, projects like roads and sewers are allowed to be built on the Greenbelt. This was always the way. This was the way that was designed under Premier McGuinty's government. It's the way it still is under Premier Ford's government. Mm, but uh, that project and the Bradford Bypass, which is a 16-kilometer highway between the 404 and the 400, yeah. um, those projects presumably will lead to more uh, land developed. And you know, opponents of those things say it's going to create more urban sprawl. Proponents say, no, it's going to create more places that people can afford to live so Mm. it this is the other this is the other struggle and the local municipalities um are most local municipalities welcome the bradford bypass but they all to i I think every single affected municipality opposes highway 413 but the tories are still running on it even though it's locally unpopular at municipal councils they believe that it's a project that people want yeah now bradford just to fill everybody in that's up around the Holland Marsh to the north of um, the north of the city, north of Newmarket, as you're going up um, that way there, just so you're wondering. So, of course, there have been a lot of critics to uh, about this plan anyway, and some people have said that there's not enough social social housing that goes into it, and uh, I guess that came from one of the city councillors. Um, uh, in Toronto. Gord Perks, yeah, yeah, the, from Parktail High Park, where, by the way, there isn't a whole lot of social housing in his very wealthy enclave, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, the leader of the Liberals is saying, look at, you know, what um, what happened to rent controls? And what happened to, uh, you know, incentives for first-time buyers? And I mean, we've been hearing a lot of this first-time buyer stuff that, the, I mean, through the federal government in a lot of ways. And yeah. Everything seems to be a Band-Aid, and I I hate to be so critical of it or so skeptical, but we're really not getting anywhere when it comes to solving this whole housing crisis, as they want to call it, about somebody wanting to get into this market. We just – it's not working. It's and, – and you know what, Des? I'm not sure what any government can do because here's the thing. It, it's a weird – it's a kind of a double-edged sword. Let's say we're – that governments could wave a magic wand and freeze property prices. Yeah. Uh, well, the people who are sitting in a $2 million house that they bought for four hundred grand 10, 15 years ago are going to be not so happy that their $2 million house is still worth $2 million 10 years exactly. later. They, they all of pe- Everyone's retirement and uh, wealth is tied up in their home. And I think that's the, the double-edged sword in Toronto. We all complain about... Uh, about soaring prices and affordability, but we don't complain when we turn around and sell. You know, when uh, you know the the little old lady down the street from me who bought her house in the '60s for fifty grand turns around and sells it for three million bucks. Fifty. My you know, mother so- paid thirteen thousand for hers in the Coxwell Dundas. It cost one Dundas. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's and 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 that it's it's crazy how uh, how the prices have 
have risen. I remember, uh, like, uh, I remember my parents buying a sec their second house in Canada when we after we moved here. Their first house was I think they bought for like forty grand, and they sold that one for like a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. And then they bought a house that was over a hundred grand, and my father was like having conniptions about how expensive that was. Oh, yeah. Uh, and but that same house now is worth uh, millions of dollars. If they if they unfortunately they still don't own it, but uh, it, you know it's 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 uh, it's crazy how things have gone up. And it's not just in Toronto; it's all it's all over, all over uh, all of the world. But it does make you make you realize. I mean, when my folks came here, when your mom came here, you, people could. That you could aspire to buy a house within a few years of being yeah, in Canada. Exactly, Do you know what yeah. I mean? I just don't think that's reasonable unless you are really wealthy and you've come from somewhere, you know, and already have millions in the bank. Yeah. You know, you, you, you raised a good point there about uh, real estate not just being a home but being an investment. And a lot of people, almost everybody looks at it that way. So it's great to be screaming about, you know, we've got to make it more affordable for our children to be able to buy and all that. But then on the other hand, we had like $10 billion from parents last year given yeah. to their children yeah. um, to buy homes. Um, and that's basically, you know, as they always say, the bank of mom and dad always comes yeah. In, yeah. in handy. But in the long run, real estate is an investment. And if governments take measures that are going to screw with people's investments, then they're not going to get elected. So they've got to try to draw that balance on, yes, affordability is one. For young people getting in the market, yes, let's see what we can do to help them. But at the same time, you can't be hurting these lifetime investments from, for people that have, you know, were bold enough to, to jump into the market way, way back. And it's always been hard for people, always. Exactly, and 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 uh, um, I. It's funny. My my grandfather in Jamaica used to instill in all of us about the importance of owning land. Like his his thing was property ownership because it's the one thing they're not making any more of yeah, it, and they can't and they can't and they can't take it away from you because it's always a tangible asset. It's something that la and it lasts forever. It's not like buying some kinds of investments that can go up and go down and and and, and are worthless one day cuz land is never is almost never worthless unless i guess some contamination happens to it or something. But it's it's and it's it's just a reminder though that yes, it is an investment, but i think what governments can do is try to dissuade the property speculators, the house flippers because i think those folks are are just profiteers they're not doing anything for the greater good uh, whereas you can argue that when you move into a neighborhood and you fix up your house you've made your neighborhood a better place you've made it a safer place when you have more people living in downtown one of the reasons why toronto is one of the safest big cities anywhere is because we have so many people living downtown so we don't need the policing that we that they do in some state some american cities where there's no one living downtown it's it's exactly. you have these these donut cities we just don't have that here because we because of uh, uh, we've had very smart zoning and uh, from at city council over the years thanks to people like barbara hall the former mayor of toronto who was really really um instrumental in the king street project that's so right, that, yeah, that's how kings. we have liberty village yeah, yeah the kings i mean i when i was a young man a very young guy in university i had friends who were squatters in um 
in uh, warehouses in they were artists and musicians and stuff like that and they lived in warehouses it what's in in what's now liberty village because they could afford these these places uh they weren't squatters they paid rent but they were studios and they weren't supposed to live there but they did live there secretly and their landlords didn't know that or the, their landlords did know that they didn't care but they but because of fire regulations and other things they weren't allowed to supposedly sleep there but they did and now those are those. I mean, Liberty Village is in. It's insane how how it is. built up it is now. It's all. It's almost too built up. Uh, they haven't let, have the. They haven't had the services to go with it. The transit, the schools, all those things that are needed. Yeah, but remember, parks. it was built like in, you know, adjacent to an abattoir. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> The smell, oh my god! I know, I know. Everyone, everyone complains about. Oh, I live next to an abattoir. Maybe you shouldn't have bought one. And now I think the abattoir is gone, though. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's gone, gone now. now. Yeah. Um, you know, going back on speculators and flippers. So, in Vancouver, there was a huge problem with people just flipping paper. So they would buy a home today and a closing date of uh, let's say June, but in the meantime, they just flipped the paper. They just flipped the contract. And, and make 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand on it. We don't see a lot of that here. But I, I, can, see, I can see where it's really important to penalize or tax those types of people. Exactly. And I think that's what, the, that's what Christopher Freeland was hoping to do because you can't have a situation where people are buying sight unseen and selling. They're selling something that hasn't – it's almost like a Ponzi scheme, you know? It becomes, uh, it's and and it's really unfair to because it it artificially uh, raises prices. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, I had Tim Hudak on um, on this podcast a while back, and he did. We just touched on money laundering. Yeah, right. Uh, that's something I'd like to delve into a little bit deeper. But he said it's like a multi-billion-dollar problem. Yeah, and it's. I mean, we don't know the facts on all of this, but in a lot of cases. Um, some of these flips on the contracts and so on, um, you could trace it to money longer. And even though I, I can't, I can't say that one hundred percent, but I would say that there's a good chance of it. Yeah, I mean, what better place? What a better way to to launder money if you're some Russian oligarch or something than to do it through a, a you know a, a Toronto condo tower or something? You know, it's just it's and and frankly, I don't think the police have the resources to track these kinds no. of uh, the, these kinds of transactions. No, nope, not at all. Um, that's a whole, I was just going to get into a story when my, when my wife worked for the um, Investment Dealers Association. I, it's called IROC now. And um, she, she was an investigator for them. And it was really, really hard to get the police to pay attention to anything. And for the most part, it's because they just don't have, number one, it's the resources, but they don't have people who are trained well enough to understand, you know, the intricacies on how, you know, white collar fraud is working. So that's why a lot of these people have been getting away for it for years. But anyway, back on the back, back on the flipping. The other side of that is that I find that there are some renovators out there that are doing a service. So they run it, they, they, they pick up a house that needs a lot of work. And right now, they're being priced out of the market by the end users because, you know, the young couples coming in um, and seeing these houses that need a lot of work are jumping on yeah. these and pushing the prices up to the point where these builders and renovators can't pick them up because there's no profit margin. Yeah. And yeah, there's just yeah. no profit margin whatsoever. However, in the circumstances where there, uh, these, you know, investors slash renovators slash builders are able to pick up these properties 
off market, right? They don't like buying on the MLS because that's where the price gets pushed up. All the exposure that's out there, people seeing it on realtor.ca, all the electronic exposure to the point where you get a lot of interest on it. So they like to buy the properties by either having somebody knock on the door and say, hey, I'd like to, you know, would you like to sell? And in a lot of cases, if they're older people that have been there for a long time and they're seeing a million dollars flash in front of them when they paid like, you know, the 15, 20,000 for it, it's a huge number. So they jump at it and then the builder will, you know, do the renovation and put it back on the market again. In that case, they're usually getting what the market value is for it. Because, you know, regardless of what people are saying out there about people overpaying, for the most part, buyers are very, very smart. They're well-educated. They know what they're investing in. They really do. So, like I was saying, in that case, they're doing a service because now they've renovated something that wasn't really inhabitable and putting it out there for somebody um, to just move right into. And the other thing too, does is sometimes in those situations, you get uh, people that turn something into a triplex or a duplex or something like that. And then you've actually created housing yeah. too. I mean, it, I mean, it goes the other way. Sometimes I've seen like there was a, that one that everyone was talking about in the junction, that house that was for sale for $1.8 million or $1.9 million. And it was just actually a wreck, but it looked like it was a former rooming house that will get gutted. It'll get purchased. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It'll probably cost a million bucks to, to put, put into it. But then um, they'll be able to flip it for four million dollars. So you know, and it may be, but it may just, and it won't be a rooming house anymore. I just think that we governments need to be more uh, nimble and uh, in in, a, in addressing things like that, uh, so that you can have uh, in the nanny suite uh, or the gra- or the grandma suite or what you know, like an in law suite. Those kinds of things, mm-hmm. ha- allowing that kind of zoning. I mean, I have I have lots of friends who have houses with basement apartments that they rent because that's how they've managed to keep yeah, their house. And buy that's their how house. we started. Yeah, yeah. Lots of families started that way. And he- but Des, a lot of those folks are, are are those apartments all quote unquote legal? I don't know. You know, it's- yeah, a lot of them aren't. Yeah, and that's and I and I think I mean it's 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 kind of crazy to me. I think for if I was the CRA, I would want them to be made legal so that I would get the tax revenue from because some of those landlords are making a profit on those things. So you'd think that you'd want to have that show show up somewhere, and also for safety. Yeah, you're not, but you're not going to have municipalities coming in and saying, "I'm shutting down this this basement apartment when we have this so-called housing crisis." Where are these people going to go? Yeah, so exactly. there's not a exactly. lot of enforcement going on no, with no. that at all right now. No, exactly. Okay, so Rob, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, let's go back and just summarize here. How realistic do you think this provincial government plan is? I think it's 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 doable in the sense that they they the, the goals are. Um, not as bold as, as Steve Clark himself admitted as they as they might have been. So I think that, uh, but I think the, the proof will be in the pudding after the election because it, it, let's say the Tories are reelected on June second, there'll be another housing plan after this because they've been, they've already had four of them in four years. So presumably there'll be another one in the next four years. So if they are reelected. Uh, we'll be able to measure what they've done. Did they deliver on all of these things? If they don't win the election and if the new democrats win or the liberals win or the greens win i don't think the greens can win i think they would acknowledge that but the other two parties theoretically could win uh what does that look like i mean this plan if if the liberals or the new democrats win will presumably 
get thrown out the uh, out the window and 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 there'll be another kind of a plan because already we've seen from the uh, you know Stephen Del Duca the liberal leader has said we need we need to do something about uh, skyrocketing house prices so that means more housing stock but what does that look like he's against the highway 413 so he doesn't want more more sprawl does that mean more density in downtown toronto which is great I, if you support that but then as you and i've been discussing a lot of people don't want an apartment tower at the end of their street there's no easy solutions no, there's no easy solution <laughs> and we'll see we'll say that's all we can say is we'll see how it all Plays out like usual, and like I said, housing is quite an issue at every single level of government right now. And um, there, I've said it many, many times on this podcast. Like, there's no real quick solution to this at all, Rob. Rob, thanks for joining me. So great to see you again. Des, nice to see you. Always a pleasure. And that's our latest episode of Sold in the Six. And like I said, the Rob. It's going to be a matter of time before we find out if these bold initiatives by the provincial government or even the federal government are going to work to solve this housing problem. I'd like to thank my producers, Podcast at Pop, Doug Downs, and Steve Kassar. And if you're listening to this, please leave a rating or a review. Please follow this podcast and you'll receive every episode automatically. And please don't forget to forward it to your friends. And if you want to reach me, you can email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. I also have a website, and it's called inthesixrealestate.com. And the six is spelled the number six, I-X. Yeah, I think Drake did that or something like that. Anyway, until next time, I'm Desmond Brown.